Hi, and welcome to the Living Room Scripture Lessons. My name is Brad Constantine, and this podcast series is going to be about the book of Genesis. Although this is not an official recording of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, every effort has been made to, to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. If you're interested in a deep analysis of the book of Genesis, you've come to the right place. I hope you enjoy what you hear here, and if you have any questions, you can share, link, and subscribe. Thank you. Hi, and welcome back to the Genesis podcast. This is going to be Genesis chapter 46. So now um, Jacob has found out that Joseph is alive and that they're all heading to Egypt to uh, be, be saved during the famine. So let's get into this chapter. Verse 1, And Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba, this is in the southernmost part of Palestine, and offered sacrifices unto the God of his father Isaac. And God spake unto Israel in the visions of the night, and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here am I. And he said, I am God, the God of thy father. Fear not to go down into Egypt, for I will there make of thee a great nation. Jacob exercised his faith in going to Egypt. Then the blessing and promise came. I will go down with thee into Egypt, and I will also surely bring thee up again, and Joseph shall put his hands upon thine eyes. According to Nibli, Jacob is healed of his blindness. And Jacob rose up from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried Jacob their father, and their little and their little ones, and their wives in the wagons which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. And they took their cattle and their goods which they had gotten in the, in the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt, Jacob and all his seed with him. His sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his daughters, his sons' daughters, and all his seed brought he with him into Egypt. Now from Edersheim he says this, a difficult path lay before the patriarch Jacob, as yet he had not he had no direct in, intimation from God that he should remove with his family to Egypt. But, but on the other hand, God's dealings with Joseph, the invitation of Pharaoh, and the famine in Canaan served to point it out as the period of which God had spoken to Abram when his seed should leave Canaan and, became, and become strangers and enslaved in a land that was not theirs. He knew that two things must take place before the return of Israel to and their final possession of the promised land. The iniquity of the Amorites must be full, and the family of Israel must have grown into a nation. The former was still future, and as for the latter, it is easy to see that any further stay in Canaan would have been hindering and not helpful to it. For at, that, for at the time Canaan was divided among numerous independent tribes, with one or more of whom the sons of Jacob as they increased in numbers, must either have coalesced or entered into warfare. Still more dangerous to their religion <clears throat> would have been their continuance among the intercourse with the Canaanites. It was quite otherwise in Egypt. Thither they went professedly as sojourners and for a temporary purpose. The circumstance that they were shepherds, and as such an abomination to the Egyptians, kept them separate, alike politically, religiously, and socially from the rest of the people, and indeed caused them to be placed in a district by themselves. <clears throat> Yet the land of Goshen was the best for the increase of their substance in flocks and herds. These may be designated as the outward reasons for their removal into Egypt at that time. The higher and spiritual bearings of the event have already been stated. The assurance which Jacob needed for his comfort was granted him as he reached Beersheba, the southern boundary of the Promised Land. <clears throat> there the patriarch offered sacrifices unto the God of his father Isaac, and there the faithful Lord spake to him in the visions of the night. His words gave Jacob this fourfold assurance that God was the covenant God, and that Jacob need not fear to go down into Egypt, 
that God would there make of him a great nation. In other words, that the transformation from the family to the nation should take place in Egypt, <clears throat> that God would go down with him, and lastly, that he would surely bring him up again. And each of these four assurances was introduced by an emphatic I to indicate the personal and direct source of all these blessings. Thus strengthened, Israel pursued his journey in confidence of spirit. <clears throat> Verse 8, <clears throat> And these are the names of the children of Israel which came into Egypt, Jacob and his son Reuben, Jacob's firstborn. And then he goes down and lists all the names of the children, their sons and their daughters, and so on, um, all the way down to... Um, Verse 26, all the sons that came with Jacob into Egypt, which came out of his loins, besides Jacob's sons, wives, all the souls were three score and six. So that's 70. And the, I wonder if the 70 uh, in the church is from this number. Hmm, just a thought. Well, I hadn't thought of that before. 27, and the sons of Joseph, which were born in Egypt, were two souls. All the souls of the house of Jacob, which came into Egypt, were three score and ten. As so often in Scripture, a very important lesson is conveyed to us in this connection, though in a manner to escape superficial observation. It has been repeatedly remarked that the Bible does not furnish the history of individuals as such, but gives that of the kingdom of God. This appears most clearly in the list, which is introduced at this stage of the names of the children of Israel, which came into Egypt. Manifestly, it is not to be taken as literally the catalog of those who, com who accompanied with Jacob on his journey to Egypt. For one thing, some of them, such as Joseph himself and his sons Ephraim and Manasseh and their children, if at that time they had any, were already in Egypt. Then some of the grandsons and great-grandsons of Jacob mentioned in this catalog must have been born after the sons of Jacob came into Egypt, while on the other hand, there must have been others who are not mentioned, since it is impossible to imagine that all the families of those whose further descendants are not named became extinct. But if the principle is kept in view that only what concerns the kingdom of God is recorded, then all becomes plain. We now regard this not as a biographical list, but as a genealogical table drawn up with a special object in view. That object is to enumerate first the ancestors of the tribes of Israel, and then such of their descendants as founded the separate and distinct families in each tribe. Accordingly, this genealogical table contains, besides the names of such descendants as Jacob as literally went with him into Egypt, also those of such as became head of house, heads of houses. This appears quite clearly from a comparison in Numbers 26, where the families of Israel are specially enumerated. Among their founders, not one single name appears that had not been previously given in the earlier table. Certain names, however, have dropped out in the second table, that is, that of a son of Simeon, and, and of one of Asher, and those of three sons of Benjamin, no doubt either because they became extinct, or else because they were removed from their places through some judgment. Nor does it seem strange to find the names of the future heads of families beforehand enumerated in this catalog. Do we not similarly read that in Abraham yet unborn generations of Levi had given tithes to Melchizedek? Indeed, Scripture constantly expresses itself on this wise. Thus we read that God said to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, I will give thee the land, when as yet they were but strangers and pilgrims in it, and many centuries before the event took place. In thee shall all nations of the earth be blessed, while to Jacob himself God spake, I will bring thee up again from Egypt, for with God nothing is, and in the real sense, future. He seeth the end from the beginning, but when the sacred text sums up the genealogical table with the statement that all the souls were threescore and ten, we think of the significance of the number seven times ten, 
7 being the sacred covenant number, and 10 that, that of perfection. The Greek version of the Septuagint gives the number at 75, and from it, as best known among the Jews at the time, St. Stephen quotes in Acts chapter 7, verse 14, this number results, of course, from a slightly different arrangement of the table, that in the Hebrew text names of Leah, six sons, 25 grandsons, and two great-grandsons, besides Dinah of Zilpah, two sons, 11 grandsons, two great-grandsons, and one daughter of Rachel, two sons and 12 grandsons, and of Bilhah, two sons and five grandsons. The two daughter are inserted for special reasons. And again, that was from Edersheim. Verse 28, and he sent Judah before him into unto Joseph to direct his face unto Goshen, and they came into the land of Goshen. And Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, to Goshen, and presented himself unto him. And he fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. And Israel said unto Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen thy face, because thou art yet alive. And Joseph said unto his brethren, and unto his father's house, I will go up and show Pharaoh, and say unto him, My brethren, and my father's house, which were in the land of Canaan, are come unto me. And the men are shepherds, for their trade had, hath been to feed cattle, and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they had. And it shall come to pass, when Pharaoh shall call you, and shall say, What is your occupation? That ye shall say, Thy servants' trade hath been about cattle for, from our youth even until now, both we and also our fathers, that we may dwell in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is an abomination unto the Egyptians. So this is going to keep them separate from the Egyptians. Uh, on his journey, Jacob sent Judah in advance to inform Joseph of his arrival. He hastened to receive his father in the borderland of Goshen. Their meeting after so long a parting was most affectionate and touching. The Hebrew expression rendered in our authorized version, Joseph presented himself unto him, implies extraordinary splendor of appearance. But when in the presence of his Hebrew father, the great Egyptian Lord was once more only the lad Joseph. He fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. It now became the duty of Joseph to inform Pharaoh of the actual arrival of his family in Egypt so as to obtain at the same time a fresh welcome and a temporary concession of the land of Goshen for their settlement. For this purpose, Joseph went first alone to the king and next introduced five of his brothers. Both he and they laid stress on the fact that by occupation the family were shepherds. This would secure their stay in Goshen as the district was most suitable for pasturage and at the same time most remote and most isolated from the great bulk of the people. For the Egyptian monuments show that shepherds were considered as the lowest class or caste probably because their nomadic habits were so opposed to the settled civilization of the country. Another point which the sons of Jacob were specially to bring out before Pharaoh was this, that they had come only to sojourn, not to settle in the land, so that as they had arrived at the first upon the express invitation of the king, they might be at liberty freely to depart when the time for it came. It is of importance to notice that in connection with the wrong afterwards done in the forcible detention of their descendants, it happened as Joseph had expected, Pharaoh assigned to them a dwelling place in the best of the land, that is, in the portion most suitable, in fact, in almost the only district suitable for pasturage, in the borderland between Canaan and Egypt, in the land of Goshen, or, as, or of Ramses, as it is sometimes called from the city of that name. A careful and able scholar was thus ex has thus expressed himself on the subject. The land of Goshen lay between the eastern part of the ancient delta, and the western border of Palestine. It was scarcely a part of Egypt proper, 
was inhabited by other foreigners besides the Israelites and was in its geographical names rather Semitic than Egyptian. Especially, uh, It was a pasture land especially suited to a shepherd people and sufficient for the Israelites who were prospered who there prospered and were separate from the main body of the Egyptians. And again, that was by Alfred Edersheim. So now we have the, the reunion of Jacob and his dad, uh, Jacob and Joseph, and uh, the families back together again. Uh, check in next time. We'll continue. Bye.